Hello, ladies. Welcome to Shine. It's good to see you. I have a hard time, no matter where we put it, I have a hard time standing behind that thing. We could put it right up here and I'd probably still get in front of it. I guess I just don't like to be behind it. <laughs> How's everybody doing tonight? Good. What's the latest on the weather? Wet? In Monument? Okay. Saturday morning? Saturday. Okay. Well, we'll see. I'm supposed to take somebody to the airport Saturday morning, so we'll see. <laughs> to DIA. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. We're looking for plan B. So anyhow, maybe we'll get a snow day. Um, Jan, I asked her about the canvas, about our shine, our made-to-shine painting she's been doing, and she said the paint, the paint was still wet, so we don't get to see it. Yes, so we get to see it, the unveiling of the final next week. <laughs> Hadn't she done a great job? Don't you love what she's done? Thank you, Jan. Yeah, and who hasn't had the survey? Who didn't take the survey last week? And you got it? Everybody got it? Okay, super. We'll do that again next week. It's so helpful. I appreciate y'all doing it. We went through, it just, it gives us ideas of what's really working and what's not. And, and I mean, yeah, we pray and we hear the Lord, but it's good to hear from you too. <laughs> um, so next week is our finale. That's it. This is, we've made it two semesters so far, ladies. Y'all are amazing. You've, um, you've put up with me the whole time. <laughs> um, yeah, and so next week we're going to do a supper shine. And it's, uh, yeah, supper shine. So uh, it's going to be a potluck or a pot bless, whatever you want to call it. And um, uh, we'll provide the drinks and the dessert. And if y'all would, I think there's a sheet going around to sign up. If you're going to be here. And then we'll announce it uh, Saturday night. And um, we'll have a sign up for that. So if you can bring a main, a side, or a salad, that would be wonderful. So whatever floats your boat, you bring that and share it with everybody. That'll be great. Um, so it'll be for all the ladies uh, of the road. It's not going to be just for who's been here at Shine, but we're just going to open it up for everybody. And I think that'll be a fun time because a lot of the ladies have come, but being it's a fellowship, I don't know. I, we just thought it would be a great thing to do that. Um, and we'll have, there'll be great, there'll be fellowship. We're not going to do any study. It's just going to be a fellowship time. And we're going to have popcorn praises. So... Um, everybody will have like a minute to share uh, just something that's really hit them, something that's been encouraging to them, and just go around and share those kind of things. And what you share, come prepared, because what you share will be an encouragement to everybody else, okay? Um, um, yeah, and Daryl said to be sure and come hungry. He said the ladies aren't going to come and just pick at stuff, are they? I said... No, they're not going to eat before they get here. They're going to come hungry. So come hungry and show Daryl that we can down the food. <laughs> Don't eat before you come. Bring the food and eat it here. So, um, yeah, bring a friend. Bring a, bring a friend. Well, they don't have to go to the road. You can bring, if there's somebody in town, a friend in town or a neighbor or somebody you want to come and just meet some of the ladies, it would be a great opportunity to just meet some of the ladies and enjoy non-threatening. I mean, there's food and fellowship and fun and popcorn praise, so it'll be, it'll be fun. Um, 
Okay, so can anybody remember some of the ladies that we've studied from the Bible? Just say out some names of people that we've kind of studied throughout this semester. Eve? Mm -hmm. Ruth? Uh, who were some of the other ladies? Did we talk about Esther? We talked about Esther a little bit. Yeah. The Shulamite, the Shunammite woman. These are women that, um, you know, they're fully alive. Now, did they do it perfectly? No, just like us. None of us do it perfectly. And I think that is, that's important for us to remember. Then we had Timothy's grandmother, mother and grandmother. We talked about them some. Um, but walking, these are women that walk through the aspects they walk through the aspects of womanhood and their time and their day, and it's the same things that we're walking through today. The attire is different, and the culture is a little different, but God's grace and love is the same throughout, regardless of what the headdress is or the clothes are or whether they're walking or in a horse and buggy or a car. You know, it, women are women throughout the ages. We deal with the same things. Um, and just like, um, just like them, we, we don't do it perfectly. They didn't do it perfectly. And there's something about that that sets us free, ladies, that it's not about perfection, right? We're in this together to encourage one another. It's not about who has all the T's crossed and the dots, the I's dotted, but it's about focusing on the Lord and learning his design and aligning with it. And then we have Deborah. She's this woman from the Old Testament in Judges 4 and 5. And since she has been so misunderstood in our culture, I thought it would be great to take the time to study this. And it's the last study in the aspects. But Barbara Mauser does such a good job of bringing out the truth about Judges from Judges 4 and about Deborah from Judges 4 and 5. Um, she also lived, she was a strong woman who lived in a dark time. And I, I'm not a doom and gloom person. I believe that Jesus is on the throne, and no matter what happens, God is going to take care of us. But we're coming into darker times. And where that's going and what the timetable of the, that is, I don't know. But, but we're, we're, the Bible says that the light will get lighter and the dark will get darker. You can walk right on through here, Pam. <laughs> um but let's, in your study, uh, y'all take about 30 minutes here. Now, before you do that, I want Carol to come up. And she, um, it was kind of cool because I thought about this when I was studying to find just a little nutshell of it, just an, an overarching thing. And then I got lost in life and I didn't do that. And Carol came up and she said, I found this neat little nutshell thing of Judges 4 and 5. I said, I'm going to read to my group. I said, oh, perfect. Would you read that to everybody? So she said she would do that. So you can come on up. I don't think you need a mic. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to speak up. Okay. 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 Hold on. We got a usable chair right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's growling. <laughs> uh, Deborah was both a prophetess and ruler of the people of ancient Israel the only woman judge among the 12 judges. She held court under the palm tree of Deborah in the hill country of Ephraim. 
deciding the people's disputes. All was not well, however. The Israelites had been disobeying God, so God allowed Jabin, a king of Canaan, to oppress them. Jabin's general was named Sisera, and he intimidated the, Jew, the Hebrews with 900 iron chariots, powerful tools of war that struck terror into the hearts of foot soldiers. Deborah, acting on guidance from God, sent for the warrior Barak, telling him the Lord had commanded Barak to gather 10,000 men from the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali and lead them to Mount Tabor. Deborah promised to lure Sisera and his chariots into the Kishon Valley, where Barak would defeat them. Instead of fully trusting God, Barak refused to go unless Deborah accompanied him to inspire the troops. She gave in but prophesied that the credit for the victory would not go to Barak, but to a woman. The two armies clashed at the foot of Mount Tabor. The Lord sent rain, and the river Kishon swept away some of General Sisera's men. His heavy iron chariots got bogged down in mud, rendering them ineffective. Barak chased the retreating enemy to Harasha, where the Jews slaughtered them. Not a man of Jabin's army was left alive. In the confusion of the battle, Sisera had deserted his army and ran to the camp of Heber the Kenite near Kadesh. Heber and King Jabin were allies. As Sisera staggered in, Heber's wife, Jael, welcomed him into her tent. The exhausted Sisera asked for water, but instead Jael gave him curdled milk, a drink that would make him drowsy. Sisera then asked Jael to stand guard at the tent's door and turn away any pursuers. When Sisera fell asleep, Jael sneaked in, carrying a long, sharp tent peg and a hammer. She drove the peg through the general's temple into the ground, killing him. In a while, Barak arrived. Jael took him into the tent and showed him the body of Sisera. After the victory, Barak and Deborah sang a hymn of praise to God, found in Judges 5, called the Song of Deborah. From that point on, the Israelites grew stronger until they destroyed King Jabin. Thanks to Deborah's faith, the land enjoyed peace for 40 years. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you. What a good bedtime story, huh? <laughs> As your kids fall asleep, tent pegs. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Carol. I appreciate that. No, that is a powerful story. So y'all take about 30 minutes here in your groups and go through this, this study, the questions, and then we'll reconvene and then we'll do our study together. Okay? Okay. Is everybody done? How'd it go? You done? Almost? Okay. Super. That was a, that was a good study. Did y'all enjoy that? Some juicy conversations, huh? <laughs> that is, that's great. Okay, so discerning between man's wisdom. Oh, no. I want to take a minute and hear from each one of you something, something that you really got from, from it, something that stood out. So there was some great conversation at our table. Okay. <laughs> Allie's group. What's something that y'all really got? 
I don't know who's, I don't know who's leading it at what table, but. Okay. Okay. Uh, Oh, revelatory insight here. (laughs) Are you saying Barack, that that name could be an abomination? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) Was there anything else y'all got? Y'all get stuck on that one. What's one thing that just really stood out to you? One of you. Y'all decide who's going to share something in your group. That's good. She did. She, her trust was in the Lord. She feared the Lord more than man. Hospitality with a hammer. Which leads to my moment. Yes. Don't buy cheap tent stakes. <laughs> she said, "Don't buy cheap tent stakes." So you want them long enough? No, you want them tough enough because cheap ones bend when you hit. Yeah, but you want it long enough to go from temple through one temple and the other. <laughs> and a good hammer. Yeah. Any other thoughts from this table? Anybody want to? Mary had some good comments. Mary. Well, I don't want to go on and on, but in what way did Deborah display the five aspects of the woman? Mm-hmm. I think she displayed all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, she read the notes. Good job. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, you just, just pick one and you can figure out how she mm-hmm. was an example of that. Mm-hmm. Awesome, that's so true. Allie, your group, or whoever, Rachel. Do you want to be a spokesperson? Nope. Ah. One of (laughs) y'all. I thought it was really cool how 
wasn't trying to um, get what she felt the Lord wanted accomplished done herself. She was just a mouthpiece, and she actually listened to what God had to say mm-hmm. to relay the information and encouraged Barack to take the role that God was was giving mm-hmm. him. through God, I mean, in one sense, putting the, this is what God has said. Yeah. And a side note, we were in the same group, that JL is from Caleb's line. She's used to fighting giants. Oh, yeah. Man, I wish somebody would put someone like her in our Barack's presence. Well, we'll leave that in the hands of the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) We will leave that in the hands of the Lord. Yes. Um, Okay. That's good. Well said. That's good for all of us. <laughs> when to speak and when not to speak. Okay. Ditto. Ditto. We can be jealous of their strength rather than praising their strength and learning from it and being encouraged by it. That's really good. That's neat. It takes a secure woman, though, to in, to see that in other women and and to encourage that. We're not in competition. We're really on the same team. That's a, a great point. And talk, talk about security. We were talking about what what would it have been like as as Deborah prophesying that, being that men were the ones who went to war and did the warring and battling, prophesying that the glory would go to a woman. That would be a hard word to give because I would be going, God, is that, is that really you? <laughs> I, I don't know that that's really you because that doesn't even fit with our culture, so to speak. I don't know. I, th- she was a woman of faith. So she was secure in her skin with who she was. <clears throat> So discerning between, those are really all good thoughts. I can tell y'all really got into it and got your hearts going. Um, Discerning between man's wisdom, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God's wisdom, the tree of life. This is something that we need to learn to do. What is God's wisdom? What is man's wisdom? What happened, who knows what happened in 1957 that changed the course of history for women in the world? 
1957, the pill. That was when the pill was first released. 1957, the FDA approves the pill, but only for, yeah, contraception, oral contraception, but only for severe menstrual disorders, not as contraceptive. Then you know what started happening? Women started saying, I have severe discomfort. <laughs> lots of, like, lots of women started. Yeah, right, yeah. Large numbers were reported of having severe menstrual discomfort. In 1960, the pill was approved for contraceptive use. Then, hot on the heels of the pill being approved and released came the feminist movement of the 60s and 70s. You see, you really can't have the feminist movement until you can, you can choose to not have children. That was, that was, we don't realize what a big landmark that was and how that was a huge shift in our culture. It was huge. It was one of the biggest things that happened in American culture. What happens with the women is very important. And what we do to either honor and obey the Lord or what we do to go against his design affects the culture deeply. What was the purpose of the feminist movement? What are, what are some of your thoughts? What was the purpose, the main overarching public purpose of the feminist movement? To get rid of bras, and it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Karen. <laughs> Go for it, Karen. Yeah. Was there anything else other than getting rid of bras? <laughs> Equality. Equality. Equal rights, equal pay. I think it was more than equality. It was to do things without Yes. I think it was to undermine the family. Yes. That's not what was touted, though. Right. It was, it was the, the overt statement was equal rights, equal pay. Sounds so good. Fairness. Yeah. But the, the root... It all sounds good, but the root, there was much more to the movement that was covert. And you're right. Um, feminism, which is the social and political belief that men and women are interchangeable, that there is no gender-based difference in role, privilege, or responsibility, and there, that there should not be any recognized or sustained differences in men and women by the state or society. This is, this is what the feminist movement is. A famous slogan among feminists written by Irina Dunn and popularized by Gloria Steinem was, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. It's to get rid of men. We don't need them. We can do without them. Thank you very much. They're just in the way. Ladies, although good did come from the equal rights, there was good things, there was plausible things that they were addressing that should have been addressed. But at the root was bad fruit. It was to control. It's not just they wanted equal rights and equal pay. It was to control and dominate men. And do you remember what we learned in Genesis 4, 7c? What, does anybody remember what that was? The desire. The desire to control. Yeah. Um, 
You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, desiring and eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Who has heard of evangelical feminism or egalitarianism? Is that me? Okay. Yes. Anna. Oh, you've heard about it. Okay. Oh. <laughs> There's two of you. Anybody else ever heard of egalitarianism or, or, um, uh, or yeah, egalitarian, or what was the other? Um, yeah, well, ev- evangelical feminism. They're the same thing. Evangelical feminism and egalitarianism are the same thing. And it's basically the same view as feminism by those who claim to be Christians. In order to make the Bible align with their beliefs about feminism, they have to reinterpret important passages of the Bible about male headship and gender-specific roles to change their meaning and or application or just cut it out altogether. And then you have a, not, you have a holy Bible in a different way. For the evangelical feminist, what's making that noise? Is it my earring or something? Yeah, but my earring's not hitting anything. I don't know. Anyhow, um, for the evangelical feminist, there has been a focused goal to get women ordained as elders, priests, and pastors. That's been a focused goal. And if you will notice what came on the heels of that, for all of the ones who have had ordained women ordained as pastors, senior pastors, and priests, now is coming in um, homosexual and gay pastors and priests. It, it's, a, it's this slow slide, or maybe we're into a plunge now. But this is where it all leads. Once you start compromising, then you stay in a state of compromise. Is anyone familiar with complementarianism? Who's heard that word? Complementarian, again, or two. Okay. Um, If you've taken the aspects, you know these terms. (laughs) Um, It it affirms, complementarianism, it affirms that men are, by God's creation and mandate, responsible to lead the human race with the help, nurture, and counsel of women. Okay, that's that's the underlying, that's the foundation of complementarianism. That men and women are equally created in God's image and likeness, equal in their humanity and their spiritual worth. Men and women are equal in their worth, in their value, in their identity, in God. We're created equal in God, but different in their sexuality and roles. Complementarianism believes that the redemptive work of Christ redeems the sinful state of men and women to restore the sacrificial servant headship role of man and the sacrificial servant submission role of woman to their created complementary states. Okay, So we're getting back to what God's design is for men and women and how they're interchangeable and how they work together. They don't compete with one another. They complete one another in their roles and their design, like Christ in the church, like God in Israel. Okay, in light of these underlying belief systems, do you see how when reading scripture through either, either one of these grids, if you're reading it through the complementarian grid, you're going to see it one way. If you're reading it through the egalitarian grid, you're going to see the scriptures a different way because of your belief system. It makes a difference how we discern the word of God for our lives. 
So these are really important. They don't sound that important, but they're huge in the direction that our life goes and how we see our husbands and how we see God and how we see other women and how we work out our differences. Ladies, we must know God's design according to his word, not through culture grids, but through his word. His wisdom to discern. So we are not deceived by man's wisdom. If we don't know the truth of God's word, we will get sucked along with this culture. If we want to eat of the tree of life, then we will learn to discern and align with God's design. If we, it may not be easy or culturally acceptable as for Deborah and her, her time. I don't imagine that what she was doing was necessarily that easy at times. But honoring God brings fulfillment, peace, and leads to life. That opened the door. Not only did they have that 40 years of peace, that was the tide that turned the oppression in Deborah's day and began moving them towards freedom from oppression. Okay, so let's look at Deborah. A look at a biblical woman in action. One of the most frequently asked questions when it comes to women in leadership in the church is, well, what about Deborah? I mean, really, what about Deborah? You know, um, the modern view of Deborah in light of the feminist movement is that she was one of Israel's judges, leaders in war, and deliverer of the nation from oppression. As you study through Judges 4 and 5, is that what you read? It wasn't. Yeah, she did. She obeyed God. And she was trying to get the men to go out and do things. She wasn't trying to take over their position. Right. Where an egalitarian grid is going to try to diminish the men and take over. Because fish don't need bicycles. So why should women need men? In their mind. Instead, what we see in Judges 4 and 5 is a woman who is a great Israelite, a prophetess, and most noble person in the book of Judges. Deborah defines herself by her womanly roles and is a strong woman in a day of weak men. We see Deborah in the dark time of oppression when every man was doing what was right in his own eyes, using her strengths to strengthen men that God would be glorified and the nation set free. Can we learn something in our day-to-day? And what we're doing, what we're dealing with today. Can we learn from Deborah and how, how she listened to the Lord, how she obeyed the Lord, and how she encouraged men around her? Judges 2, 16 and 18 defines a judge as a person whom God raises up to deliver the people militarily through battle from oppressors with a role of teaching and or exhorting. Um... Yeah, we've read those, those verses. Deborah was the only major character in the book of Judges whose call is not described and is not told to arise. The other military leaders and judges were. She wasn't. Judges 4, 4 to 5 in the Amplify says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit 
to hear and decide disputes under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came up to her for judgment. She was a prophetess where God spoke through her at times. She identified herself as a wife, as a mother, who ministered in a particular place. She wasn't going out on a circuit. She wasn't going out to do ministry. She wasn't going out. She was in her place, and people came to her in her home. She was taking care of her. She was a mother, so she had a husband and a mother, and just those two things can keep a woman busy 24-7, all of which qualify her to be a homemaker of her day. Here we see Deborah is judging. So this word is shafat. Okay, so if you look at the word judging, if you look it up in the meaning, in the Hebrew here, it's shafat, to judge, to adjudicate, to decide, to govern, pronounce judgment, or execute judgment. Okay, she was not providing military deliverance under her palm tree, was she? She wasn't even coming up with battle strategies under her palm tree. She was giving advice. Deborah was a woman of wisdom, insight, and integrity, which was rare in those days. She was loyal to God, and she was dependable. These are all qualities that the Lord is calling us to be. That you are. I mean, you ladies are this, but it's to be growing in it in every stage of our life. Her judging provided guidance and counsel, not military deliverance from oppressors, as the book of Judges defines the role of judge. If you come to me for counsel, I can give you godly counsel. But does that make me a professional counselor? No. People came to her for judgment, to judge matters. As Barbara says, you know, should I marry this woman or that woman? Or Pete stole my pig, you know, make him give it back. You know, these type of things. But does that make her a judge? No. And me being a counselor, now if you go to like Beverly Sailors or something, she's a professional counselor. There's a difference between going to somebody for counsel and going to somebody and saying that they're, you wouldn't say I'm a professional counselor. No, I'm not a professional counselor. She wasn't a judge, a military judge of that day. Do you see the difference? She was a judge in that she helped people judge their issues. She wasn't the military judge. Also, Deborah, Deborah's habit was to base her ministry out of her home, which is classically feminine. Whereas like Samuel, who also judged in Ramah, years later, you can look it up in 1 Samuel 7, 15 to 17, he walked a circuit to minister to the people. He went out to judge, and Deborah stayed home. This is, this is different types, the masculine, the feminine. Deborah called for Barak, who was the military leader at that time, and um, 4, verses 6 to 7, she didn't chase him down. She didn't make him do it. She called him out. She was trying to elevate him. She was trying to honor him. She was trying to encourage him. Um, and she said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded? So she's not, she's not telling him, I'm telling you, Brack, you need to go do this. She's saying, Has not the Lord God said... So where is she, 
Where is she sending him to? She's honoring the man by allowing God to be his authority. She's not trying to be his authority. Do you see? That's what a wise woman does. Is she sends him to God for God to be his authority. Instead of ruling over him and being his authority. She framed it in a question. In Judges 4, 9 to 10, was either God or Deborah pleased with the conditions Brack put on the command? I don't think either one was. And Jan and I were talking the other day. I don't think there's anything that can be more grating on a woman's femininity than a passive man who doesn't lead. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's a me thing. But I think most women, it's so hard. And as we were talking, just like when a wife doesn't take care of her husband in a sexual way, it opens him up for temptation. Now, he's still responsible to be honorable and pure. But when a man doesn't lead, it opens a woman up to that Genesis 4-7 curse of wanting to desire to control. If he doesn't step up and lead... But when, you know how, it's like, it's like a dance. When you're with a man that leads well, he can make even a terrible dancer look good. I mean, literally. I dated a guy in high school. He was in college. I was in high school. He was this big football player. And I would stand on his feet, and we would country western dance. He made me look good. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to dance. But we danced well together when I was on his feet. A good leader makes it easy for a woman to follow. But a man who doesn't know how to lead in in the dance of life makes it, it opens us up. What do we want to do? We want to take the reins. We want to crack the whip. And we're going to lead it. It opens us up to our lower nature to want to control and dominate. Um, And then his, I think she was, uh, you know, Deborah was not pleased, nor was God, because he said that, what did he say, was going to be diminished. His honor. Yeah, he wouldn't get the glory. His glory would be diminished and it would go to a woman. In Judges 4, 12 to 16, we see Deborah exhorting Barak to go forth. And God, and, does, and God does bring the victory. So God, I mean, she's saying, God's already given you the victory. Go. <laughs> Who ended up defending Sisera and getting the glory in Judges 4, 17 to 21? J.L. did. Yeah, and we've already talked about it with a tent stake. What was the tent stake used for? Right, it's kind of a no-brainer, but that's what the tent stake's for. And to push or drive into the ground for holding a tent to the ground is the definition from Wikipedia. Ladies, I believe that this God allowed Jael to strongly illustrate what we need to do as women in our homes to defeat the enemies. We have to take the tent stake of our faith in Jesus Christ and drive it through the mindsets of the enemy. Drive it to the ground. And kill those mindsets that are running us in fear. 
the fear of man that are keeping us from taking the land that God has called us to take. And that really is so interesting, Allie, that you bring that up, that that is part of Caleb's line. Because they had giants to take. God had given them the victory in, in Joshua. He gave them the victory in the promised land. All they had to do was show up to take the land. And God's calling us to show up and take the land. And what are the mindsets that we need to drive to the ground? We need to identify the lies or mental strongholds of the enemy that want to keep us from securing the promised land God has sworn to give us, but we must go and take it. So, pardon? Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now those camps were pretty tough because they were high. Yeah. So that tent peg had to be pretty strong. Yeah. So that tent peg represents holding down the house. Mm-hmm. And she's the one building that tent peg to hold that tent house together. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. We are warriors in a sense. Not in the sense of men are going out, but we, we protect our homes in ways that men don't. We protect them inside. They protect them outside. We, these different roles. We do need to be courageous as well in our own feminine ways, ladies. In Judges 5, 1 to 5, Deborah rejoices over two things. She praises God that his people obeyed and fought with an officer leading and men willingly following. And that God was ultimately, it was the ultimate warrior. She praises him. This is what she's praising. I don't see, do you see the difference in a woman who's wanting to take over? She's not going to praise the men for doing that. She's going she's to want to diminish them and get the glory herself. Deborah rightly discerns in chapter 5, 6, and 8 that the people stayed home in fear of the enemy. But what was, what was the root of why they stayed home? They were in fear of the enemy, but why? Do you remember? Because they had chosen to worship other gods, right? When we choose not to worship God and honor Him and fear Him then we become afraid of the enemies. And we, our, our hearts melt within us and we don't have the courage to fight the giants within our own homes. Now we see why Deborah is hailed as one of the significant women of the Bible who opened the door, so to speak, for deliverance. She was a door opener for the men to walk through. God often uses women to initiate or give birth to great events, but men must walk through the doors women open to execute and complete what the women begin. Now, this is not in contradiction to men leading and women following. Rather, it is a picture of interdependence. Paul speaks of interdependence in 1 Corinthians 11, 8, 9, and 12. For the first man didn't come from woman, but the first woman came from man. And man was not made for woman, but woman was made for man. But among the Lord's people, women are not interdependent, are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, 
Every other man was born from a woman, and everything comes from God. So do you see the interdependence there? In Judges 5, 9 and 19, Deborah is full of admiration and respect for God and the Israelite men who willingly fought for their nation, for their country. When we truly fear the Lord, we will be courageous. We will do the courageous things that God's calling us to do for our lives, our own lives, for our own families, for our own marriages, for our own communities. How, how is the Lord wanting to use each one of us individually to bring victory to our nation? We don't tend to think of it that way. But God used one woman that brought initiated victory for their whole nation. How is God wanting to use you in your home and your relationships to turn the tide in our nation? Ladies, I believe that women have more to do with the, the spiritual and the, the, the spiritual water level in our homes. We're always wanting our men to lead. But I think that God gives us the wisdom and the grace and the ability to influence if we will work with God's design and flow with that. And the only effective way to deal with fear, you see, we have giants in our homes. I have giants in, in our family that we're dealing with even now. We all have something somewhere in our immediate family or those close to us in our communities that we need to be dealing with and to be courageous and not to be afraid of it. And the only way we're going to deal with those giants is truly the only effective way to deal with it is through is knowing Jesus Christ and having our hearts set afire for him in love with him, receiving his love for us, receiving his forgiveness for us, and passing that on to others. That's the only way we're going to be courageous. If we're not focused on the Lord... And receiving his love as our identity, we have nothing to pass on in his forgiveness for us. It's not about judging others. It's about receiving God's love and passing that love on and forgiveness. That is having a higher view. See, this is having a higher view of God than of the enemy. Deborah had a higher view of God than the enemy. If you think about it, in Joshua, not having a high view of God was why the Israelites didn't take the land God had promised them. They saw the giants as bigger than God. Do you see the giants bigger than God? Or do you see God bigger than the giants? This is the question that God is asking. Do you see me bigger than your giants? How we answer this question is life-defining. Do you see God for who he truly is? Deborah did, and she was not afraid to proclaim the truth in, honoring, in an honoring way. Now, here's the thing. It's, it's declaring the truth like she did, but she did it in an honoring way. Do you see the difference? She brought glory to the men around her, to her nation, and ultimately to God.
Here in the aspects, I love this story. It's always stood out to me. Um, I call it the Battle of Mothers. From Judges 5, 28 to 30, which we've, we've read that. And she says, in the last scene of Deborah's song, we move from the tent of Jael to the house of Sisera's mother. Where this well-to-do woman impatiently waits the return of her son from the battle. Not considering defeat possible, she and her attendants speculate about what is keeping the general. The answer, rape and pillage. Deborah could not have portrayed the Canaanite culture more effectively than this. When the cultivated matrons of a people deliberately and enthusiastically rear sons for the military, economic and sexual oppression of their neighbors, such a society is, is evil. It's corrupt root and branch. Do you see how the mothers are directing the course of nations? Deborah is a modest and humble woman. She does not dwell on herself or her role in events. Her focus is not on herself, ladies. However, by closing her song with Sisera's mother, she casts herself without words as, as the victorious champion of mothers in the battle between light and dark, good and evil, between Yahweh and those who hate him. Deborah's God has triumphed over Baal. Her techno technologically inferior culture has defeated the corruption of Canaan. Her man, Barak, will come back from the battle to enter the roll call of faith in Hebrews 11. While the tyrant, Sisera, lies dead with a tent peg through his head, many Israelite men have been faithful, while the, he, while the hosts of Sisera have been swept away by flood and sword. Deborah has reason to rejoice. Her God has brought great triumph. And she has been the mother of it. What are we the mother of? What are we mothering? What are we nurturing? What are we cultivating? Thus we have in Judges 5.31 the glorious conclusion of her song. So many, quote, so many, so may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And the land had rest for 40 years. Isn't that beautiful? It's a battle of mothers. Mothers are the ones that are raising up the next generation. Fathers are to go out and lead, but the mothers are so impactful upon the hearts of the young ones coming up. What a powerful testimony of a woman who obeyed and trusted God. Deborah is a beautiful example of a woman who uses her feminine nature to honor God, men, and her nation, ultimately triumphing over the fallen feminine rule of her rival. Was her rival Sisera or was her rival Sisera's mother? Her rival was Sisera's mother. In the final analysis, we are to raise our children to fear the Lord. And women who raise their children in ways that do not honor God are not our enemy. They're not our enemy. We are to love them, but raise God's light of truth to drive the darkness 
out of our land. It doesn't mean we tolerate it, but we love the people. So how does Deborah model the five aspects of woman? What were, what were some of y'all's thoughts as you went through that? How so? Because she gave Barack, encouraged him to do what God has called him to do instead of taking it over and doing it herself. She essentially gave him the glory even though he was reluctant to take it and there were consequences because he didn't do it. But God brought the consequences, yeah. And she couldn't praise him like she wanted to, but she, I mean, she still praised those who willingly went in. What else? Okay, so what about the domain? What was her domain? That she had her palm tree only when she was called. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, what about being a helper completer? Kind of the same thing. The glory and the helper completer really went together. I mean, she, she helped complete him, didn't she? Okay, what about being a life giver? How was she a life giver? How does she define herself? And a mother. So she had children. Um, a wife. So she had some life-giving going on there as well. And I think as a glory, she praised the men. What about as a lady of wisdom? Do we see any wisdom there? Right. What about in how she handled the situation with Barack. Uh, I think that takes a lot of wisdom. <laughs> and you've talked about glory. So yeah, she really does. She. How do we know if we or another is complementarian or egalitarian? When I first took the aspects back in 1999, I was amazed at how much feminist, egalitarian rhetoric I had believed and was living by in my own heart and in my own life. I was amazed. It took, God's, it took going through this and seeing God's word to open my eyes to why I was so frustrated in my marriage, to why I was frustrated as a woman. And it's really set me free. To understand God's design. Now, did I change overnight? The change started, but it's taken years. I'm still in progress. And as we were talking at our table about the time you get this one thing figured out, God says, okay, great, here's the next stage. <laughs> and we start all over and figuring out that stage. Um, here's, here's three things that I think. One, women who are egalitarian at heart seek to replace men in their roles of leading, providing, and protecting where complementarian women believe in patriarchy, that God calls men to lead, provide, and protect. They seek to strengthen men in these roles, not compete and take them over. Two, women who are complementarian open doors for men to walk through. Praying for them mostly is the most important thing we can do for our men. Praying for them. For our sons, our husbands, our men, our fathers, our brothers. Encouraging them. 
disgust for passivity and praising them in their designed roles as well as for their righteous and willing service. Three, godly, complementarian women stand in when men can't or want with self-imposed limitations. We choose to limit ourselves. It's hard for a man. A man is not created to fight a woman. And when a man has to put limitations on a woman, it's very awkward for them. But when a woman puts limitations on herself and holds herself back and makes room for a man to lead, then that is a God. That's what Deborah was doing. She had self-imposed limitations on herself that set the men up around her to lead and go forth. So they do not take over become takeover women who destroy their men and culture. When we take over, when women begin taking over and dominating, it's different than standing in. And it destroys, it knocks the knees out from under men. It emasculates them when we take over. They're not created to fight you. They're created to fight for you and to protect you. But when we as women dominate them, what do they do? What can they do? Are they going to fight us for the leadership? We have to make room for them to lead. And that's one of the, that, that works for us. That's a challenge for us to do that when our men don't do it well. But Rachel so beautifully talked about how praising her husband, as she praises him, she sees him lead more and more. That's what Deborah did. Um... There's a beautiful thing here that um, so good. Barbara talks about accommodating weak men or a man who is weak at the moment is not an exact science, <laughs> but rather an art requiring much wisdom. When women coddle and cover for weak men too much, they exacerbate their weakness. However, as in the case of Deborah, sometimes exhortation or encouragement coupled with going the second mile in support will enable an otherwise passive man to do his duty. How far should a woman go in such a case? When does helping a weak man strengthen him? When does it only enable him to be more irresponsible, thus augmenting sin? Deborah chose to go to the battle and to tell Barak when to go. She did not fight the battle for him. They shared the victory together. They sang her song together. Yet she refused to give him the glory as the champion he was not. He is mentioned only once in the song of victory. And that is in praise of Issachar, not Barak. Our men have weaknesses just like we do. And grace and love and prayer is important. Just like we want them to have grace and love and prayer for us. We need to have grace and love and prayer for them. But we don't want to enable and coddle their weakness. Nor do we want our men to enable and coddle our weakness. It takes courage to be a husband or a wife. To speak into our spouse, truth, and life, and courage, and love. But that is what brings freedom 
What is our motive? This is what a lot of it comes down to. Is it to bring God glory and for the good of others? Or is it to me be the glory? You know, to God be the glory. Or is it to me be the glory? You know, we see what happens in the glory of man and the fallen glory of man. What happens when a woman takes the glory to herself and prostitutes herself? What is our method? Deborah's was in a style, quote unquote, of a woman. She stayed home under her palm tree, putting the focus on the actions of, of God and man, not her own. Godly women do everything they can to get men to do their jobs, not take their jobs. Godly women do whatever they can to get men to do their jobs, not take them over. And one of the hardest things for a woman to do is to pray for, encourage, and stand by to make room for her man or men to lead. It is our temptation, when they don't especially, it is our temptation to take the lead, snap the whip, and control the situation in a way that usurps God's divine roles of authority. And there is judgment that comes with that. We end up with passive men. We end up with a society where men don't lead and women rule. That's a disgrace in biblical terms. In conclusion, I love the way Barbara concludes this about Deborah. The most honorable character in the book of Judges, Deborah becomes the catalyst and impetus for great good. I want you to hear this for each one of you. This is for each one of us. We can be a catalyst for good, ladies. Because of her, God is glorified as the deliverer, deliverer judge. Many men rise up and fight bravely. Jael is honored as an extraordinary believer and servant of God. Barak does his job. His honored is honored for his faith, although his glory is diminished. Canaanite evil is defeated, and the northern tribes gain peace for 40 years. Through subsequent millennia, saints have been edified by this great story of faith, and Deborah's war hymn glorified, glorifying God and those who came to fight for him. Deborah did all this as a womanly woman. She didn't turn into a masculine woman. She didn't become a, a butch, so to speak, you know? All right, Barack, you know, barking out orders. No, she did it in a womanly way. She was not a military leader, a head of state, or an advocate for egalitarian principles. Deborah was a wife, a mother, a prophetess, a singer, a patriot, and a great lover of God. Deborah was strong, and she was a prophetess. What really makes her remarkable was that she used her strengths and prophetic gifts in their most effective framework, the created channels of her own womanliness. May we embrace our womanliness. Would you mind playing that one song? Um, and after this song, I just want to take a time to pray. 
and um, just to pray over y'all. And uh, if there's any questions, um, I'd love to hear if you have any questions. Before we do the song, does anybody have any questions about this that weren't answered? I guess we did good. Super. That's great. Well, the word, the answers are all there in the word. And y'all read the word, so that's great. This is a song by Natalie Grant, Your Great Name. And I can, I can hear Deborah singing this song. There's a Deborah spirit in us to be courageous women. And it comes from exalting the Lord and his great name and looking to him. So um, why don't we stand up and we'll sing this together. I think, I think we can see it. Most of you know the words, but I think you can see it. Lord, thank you for your great name. We praise you. We stand in praise of you, Father God. Thank you for the way you have redeemed us. Hallelujah. <laughs> You got it. Well, the sound was coming through the TV alone. That's what I was over here. And then I'm looking at the thing, and I'll have my glasses on. And it's like, I can't see what these things say. But there was no, nothing to this going on. So that's why the volume wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Anyhow, Lord, we do come to you, and we thank you that you have redeemed us. We thank you that you call us to be your daughters. You've called us to shine. You've called us to walk in the womanliness and the femininity that you've created us to. And we can only do that by your grace. We yield ourselves to you, Father, and we ask that you would help us to be women that would praise your great name, that would have such a high view of you and who you are, that we would defeat the giants in our land, that we would see the roosters, that we would see the giants that would try to rule our life. And that we would see them for the smallness that they are. Because you are so great. That we would walk in the fear of the Lord. That we, would, that we would root out evil. And that we would encourage our men through prayer. And through your word. And through our lives with a gentle and quiet spirit that comes from having peace with you. That comes from having knowing that you love us. Knowing that you forgive us. And that then we have received that from you and we can pass on that love and that forgiveness to others. That we can help our men to be create, uh, courageous. That we wouldn't be women that would take over. But that we would be women who would stand in with self-imposed limitations. That we would choose to make room for our men to lead. That we would choose to encourage them to be the men that you've called and created them to be. That you have fought the battle. That you go before them. That you give them the victory. And that we would go with them in their dark times. That we would go with them in their times when they might be doubtful. When they might be fearful. And that we would help give them courage through love and the fear of the Lord through our own lives. That wouldn't diminish them, but would encourage them to be the men that you called and created them to be. So Lord, we thank you for this. I pray this over each woman here. I, I 
pray that each woman, that you would help her to identify what the mental strongholds are in her life. For me as well, Lord, I know that there's areas of fear that you're wanting to deliver me from, that there's areas of fear that you're wanting to deliver each woman here from in their own lives, in their own marriages, in their own families, in their own relationships. And I come against that spirit of fear over the women of shine and over the women of the road. And we break its power in Jesus' name. The giant of fear, we address you. You are broken in Jesus' name over these women. And you will not rule their lives. These are women who will seek you, who will seek the Lord. And the Lord they will find. Lord, I thank you for blessing these women. That they are courageous. That they are gentle that they are quiet, that they are at peace with you, and that they rule and reign their domain through the fear of the Lord, that they are wise women, that they are women who help and complete men and not overtake them, that they are women who, who know what it is to be a glory to the men and not overtake them. Lord, thank you for these women. Bless them for their faithfulness. And I pray that you would go with us, Lord. We need you. We need you to help us be the women that you've called and created us to be. Help us to be uh, like Deborah in her day in the time of darkness. Help us to be women who bring forth the light in a very womanly, feminine way that brings you glory and encourages the men and women around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you, ladies.